Let's take God's word together again this morning and turn to the Old Testament book of Numbers. And uh, we come to this portion of the account of Moses in the wilderness wandering. And this is a very interesting portion of God's word. In fact, this particular story account, it's a real historical account. It is recorded over three chapters of the book of Numbers. In fact, more attention is given to this particular incident than to most other details in the wilderness wandering. There are some other occasions and places where more attention is given, like the building of the tabernacle and the instructions for that. But this particular incident is given a lot of attention. Let me remind you that what we find in the Old Testament is intentionally placed and recorded for our admonition. Sometimes people look at the Old Testament and they say, that's boring, let's get to the New Testament. And when somebody speaks like that, they tell me how spiritually illiterate or ignorant they are. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In fact, we read in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul speaks about this very same thing. He tells us in Corinthians, in the, in the first letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock which followed them and that rock was Christ. Now Paul is speaking about Moses in the wilderness wandering. But he says with many of them God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, would you look here for a moment? There are many professing Christians today who are being overthrown day after day in the wilderness. And partly because they do not listen to the admonition of the Old Testament account. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. These things are written to give us an example, neither be idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. We read that last week. Do you remember? Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, all these things happened unto them, unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I spoke to a gentleman just over the last couple of days who is very arrogant and very proud, a professing believer, and one who takes much pride in his behavior. And I reminded him of this text. Let us take heed lest we fall. The things in the Old Testament account, especially the wilderness wandering, the record of Israel is written for our admonition, literally for our rebuke or warning. What we read today in Numbers 22, 23, and 24 is written for you. It's not for some obscure a group of Israelites somewhere, the Jewish people alone. 
It is written for your warning. money he wanted to use spirituality he wanted to use the things of God for money many believe that he he was just somebody who had a bit of common sense he knew that when the people of God sinned against God that they were going to be punished so he was clever enough to recognize when the people of God were sinning against God he would stand up and act like he was cursing somebody when they were mis they were disobeying God well because he knew that God wasn't going to allow that kind of behavior. And he also was clever enough to recognize that when people obeyed the living God, that they would be blessed. So that's how he gained such a reputation. Not because he actually had some sort of power. But anyways, Balaam was called by Balak to come and curse these people. He comes, the scripture tells us. He knows he should not go. But he goes anyway, and we have that famous story. Here comes Balaam on his donkey. You remember the story? He's determined to go 
and he's going to get the money, all the money that he can, and try to curse these people. And on his way, an angel stands in his way with a sword prepared to kill Balaam because God told him not to go. And Balaam had no spiritual sense at all. So he could not recognize the danger he was in, but his own donkey did. Would you look here for a moment? Every once in a while, a donkey, an ass, has more sense than you and I do. Such was the case with this man. He had very little spiritual sense. You know the story, sometimes we say, well, if God could talk through a donkey, he could talk through me. I like that, but that's not particularly what the main uh, sense of the passage is. Uh, he was, he, it, the main sense of it is he was a man who had zero sense at all of what God was doing. He is permitted to go. Now look here for a second. Every once in a while, God gives you what you want. What a very dangerous place to be, to be so persistent in our sin, so persistent in our selfishness, that finally God says, you want it? Have it. I think of a few times in my own life when I was so insistent on doing something that I knew I should not do that God finally let me do it. The book of Romans speaks about this. Romans chapter 1, Paul writes prophetically really, and he says, because that when they knew not God, they glorified, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Here's what God says. They, they understood that there was a God. They knew something of God, but because they refused to acknowledge Him, they did not like that idea of God. They refused to obey God. Then the Bible says in verse 24, Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Would you look here for a moment? This is very serious. If you continue to persist in your disobedience to God, if you continue this morning to insist on going your way, knowing the truth, then you can be sure that it's just a matter of time before God gives you up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And they go further, who change the truth of God into a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. And for this cause, God gave them up again to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men Using, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Let me begin with a warning that if you continue if you continue to resist what you know to be true about God, God may eventually give you up. He may let you have what you want. And he knows that if you get what you want, it will destroy you. We sometimes think that God is some cruel God in heaven who's trying to steal our fun. He doesn't want us to enjoy life. He's trying to steal all the pleasure and enjoyment of life. 
in all actuality, God is trying to save you from a life of destruction. And in your ignorance, in your willful rebellion, you continue to persist in your wicked way. And would you look here? It's a matter of time before God washes his hands of you and gives you over. That's what happens to, to Balaam. Later on in the, in the Old Testament record, we find that Balaam is actually slaughtered with the enemy. Can I tell you that's exactly where you are headed if you continue to resist God? What you know to be true. The story tells us in Numbers chapter 22, 23, and 24 that three times Balak and Balaam tried to curse God's people. Now I remind you, Balaam knows he can't do it. Three times they try to curse God's people. Three times Balak takes Balaam up to a high place. Chapter 22 and verse number 41. It came to pass on the morrow that Balak took Balaam and brought him up into the high places of Baal. And that thence he might see the utmost part of the people. Balak said, come here. Let me show you. Brings him high. Chapter 23 and verse number 14, they try again. And he brought him into the field of Zophim to the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. Again in chapter 23 and verse number 27, and Balak said unto Balaam, come, I pray thee, I will bring thee unto another place. Peradventure, it will please God that thou mayest curse me them from thence. Now that sounds familiar to me, doesn't it, you? Being taken to three different places and tempted tempted to curse the people of God does that sound familiar to you it reminds me of our Savior's own temptation Matthew chapter 4 Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness where were these people in the wilderness Satan brings Jesus up to a high place so that he might see all the kingdoms and tempts him now can I just remind you Satan if he had any sense, knew that he could not prevail against the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet he did it anyways. Balaam knew that he could not prevail against the people of God, but yet he tried it anyways. Would you look this way? Satan is constantly looking for a little crack to get in. And he will not stop. He'll bring you to this place, to that place. He'll bring you here. He'll bring you there. He'll tempt you with this. He'll tempt you with that. I believe that God in his mercy is trying to teach us the snares and tactics of Satan. He's trying to show us the way that Satan tempts us. And this is still happening today. Can I just encourage you with something? As much as Balaam and Balak tried to curse the people of God, they couldn't. If you are a child of God today, there is no man on earth that can curse you. Every once in a while, somebody says, do you think we're cursed? I said, have you been, all of humanity has been cursed. All of humanity has been cursed. But if you've been born again, that curse has been lifted because Christ Jesus was cursed for you and the curse has been taken away. So if you be a child of God, there is no man on earth that can curse you. Such was it here. Balaam could not curse the people of God. So then what happened? Numbers chapter 25, we find the last part of this story 
Israel a bird and Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Well, hold on. A few moments ago, a few days ago, Moab was frightened to death that Israel was going to come and take over Moab. But now the people of God are committing all sorts of wicked immorality with the women of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods, and Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. What happened? Balaam knew that he could not curse God's people. But he also knew that he could cause the people of Israel to curse themselves. Balaam knew he had no power to destroy those people. But he did know that he could deceitfully and carefully lead them very subtly away from their God and into a trap that they might be destroyed. This account is an account of self-destruction for the people of God. Church, would you look this way? If there ever needs to be a warning today, it is a warning that we take heed lest we self-destruct. Lest we destroy ourselves. Balaam is known for leading the people of God into compromise. You read the book of Revelation in chapter 2. Turn there with me if you would please. We looked at this a few months ago. One of the letters that is most fearful in the seven letters of the churches of Revelation is the letter to Pergamos, the church in Pergamos. And in this letter, Jesus deals with the same problem of Balaam. Now we're talking about thousands of years later and the problem of Balaam is still around. Don't you think it's still around today? Jesus says to the church at Pergamos in verse number 12 of Revelation chapter 2, Under the, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These say, things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou beholdest, thou, be, thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful servant, my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. What happened? Jesus tells us that Israel fell. Israel fell because this man was so tricky, so tricky, so subtle that he led the entire nation of Israel into a trap. He could not curse them himself, but he led them into a trap of self-destruction. And there are many false prophets 
today who are leading God's people day after day into traps of self-destruction. And it has everything to do with compromise. We're living in a day and age when compromise is more prevalent than conviction. We're living in a day when you can go into most churches and find compromise rather than conviction. And when anybody does have conviction, they're considered to be obnoxious and bigoted. They're considered to be uh, some sort of a uh, an extremist. And the majority of those who profess faith in Christ are compromising today because they hold to the doctrine of Balaam. And the and the ba- the doctrine that Balaam taught, Balaam taught Moab. The key to lead Israel and God's people to destruction. Would you look this way? Satan has subtly taught false prophets today the key to lead God's people into destruction. And it's happening before our eyes. Day after day, week after week, God's people are being led like lambs to the slaughter. They're being led into deception and into destruction because of it. The application of Balaam today is more relevant than you could ever imagine. Look at our text in Revelation Jesus says, I know where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Literally, the throne of Satan was there in Pergamos. They even worship Satan in Pergamos. In fact, they had all sorts of torturous means to glorify Satan. And they would often torture children of God. They had a big brazen bull that they would oftentimes heat up so it would glow like fire, and they would throw into it those who would not conform, those who would not compromise, those who would not offer uh, praise and offering and adoration to Caesar, those who would not do as they would like them to do. They would be burned alive. They tell us, history tells us, that in that bowl, they had all sorts of flutes and instruments so that when someone was screaming while they were being tortured, fried alive, The sounds would come out and it would sound like the bull making all sorts of noise. Such wickedness. The very throne of Satan. Now we may not have such a bull at this present time in the city of Oxford, but believe me, there is a throne for Satan in this city. There is a throne for Satan in this nation. If you cannot see that Satan has settled in quite nicely, then you are blind. You have taken the bait of Balaam. If you really think that this is a God-fearing country and nation, you have bitten the carrot of Balaam. And you are blind, self-deceived. City of compromise, Pergamos was. Oxford is a city of compromise. The United Kingdom is a nation of compromise. America is a nation of compromise. We see it all over the world. I wonder this morning, do you recognize the seed of Satan, the compromise all around us? Jesus goes on and he says, I've got a few things against you. Because you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. How is it that Satan causes us to be defeated? Do you know how it is? He casts a stumbling block. He dangles a stumbling block in front of your eyes. Like someone with a carrot. You've seen that illustration before. He puts something that is so attractive to you, so 
uh, so beautiful in your sight, so alluring to you, and you will do anything to get it. There are many carrots in the world today. There are many stumbling blocks that are being dangled in front of the people of God today. One of those is the carrot of self-preservation. Would you like to live and would you like to get back to normality? Let me tell you what normality is. It's a carrot of Balaam. Just do this and everything will be normal. How dreadfully deceived we really are. The carrot of, of riches. I want to get more money. A little bit more money here and a little bit more money there. And by the way, normality has a lot to do with money, doesn't it? Well, let's get back to normal so I can get back to my comfort, comfortable way of living. I, I want to go on holiday. So, hey, jab me up as many times as you need to. Give me a passport just so I can take my holiday. What a ridiculous, ridiculous carrot. But we bite it. And the world, Balaam, this false prophet dangles in front of people. All of these little carrots. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh and the pride of life. If you do this, you'll be somebody. If you'll do this, you'll have a lot of money. If you'll do this, you'll be able, I'll open doors for you that you've never been able to do before. And all sorts of deceit. How did they do it in the Old Testament? I'll tell you how they did it. The Bible tells us how they did it. Balaam told Balak, if you send your women out in front of these men who have been away from their wives for so much time fighting and battling, send your women out there, women who were known to be involved in temple prostitution and all sorts of ridiculous, terrible behavior, send them out there and that'll cause the men. And sure enough, here come the Moabite women. And the jaws of the Israelite men dropped and they took the bait. And they followed the women up to the top of the mountain where sacrifice was made to their false god. They sat down at the tables and ate that, those things which were, which were killed and, and sacrificed to false gods. And before they knew it, they were bowing down to false gods and they cursed themselves. Oh, how many times I wonder do God's people bow down who take the bait and are followed like a lamb led to the slaughter. Following along, taking the bait. I wonder today if that's you. We find in Revelation chapter 2 that there are those who cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Let me tell you what this is. Compromise, compromise, compromise. Mixing with the things of this world. And our churches look more like the world than they do a house of God. And the people of God look more like the children of Satan than they do the children of the living God. And people say it like this. Oh, come on, relax a little bit. You're being a little bit radical. Calm down a little bit. You're, aren't you a little bit over the top? Look, why don't you just go with the flow? You're making a scene. Have you heard that before? Come on, you're embarrassing the rest of Christianity. I've been told that before. Can you believe it? You're making us all look bad. Why don't you just conform? Can I tell you, never one time in the New Testament has Christianity ever been conforming to this world. Never. 
Never. Nor should it begin now. The encouraging thing in this text is that God always provides an alternative. There's another example. You and I do not have to follow Balaam, take his bait, and self-destruct. You do not have to compromise. You do not have to bow the knee to Baal. You do not have to give in to Babylon. We're given an example in Revelation chapter 2. We're given an example in Numbers that we'll look at next week, which is very, very thrilling and exciting. But the example is given to us this week in Revelation chapter 2 of a man called Antipas. The Lord Jesus says, That thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr. Now would you look this way? Though The name Antipas literally means means against all. The name Antipas means here was a man who was against everything. In the Roman days, Christians would not go to the theater. I don't mean the movie theater, but I mean the Colosseum, the theater, where all sorts of wicked things took place. They did not go. They were against the theater. They did not go to the temple. They were against the temple. They did not offer sacrifice unto Caesar. They were against that kind of false sacrifice. And so the world looked at them and said, you people are against everything. And so there you have Antipas, against all. Do you know you're in good company if people accuse you of being against everything? By the way, I want to be against everything in this world. Of this world, pardon me. I want to be against this world system. I want to be against anything that this world produces, except it come from God. You say you're being a little bit extreme. I'm being no more extreme than God's word is extreme. I'm being no more extreme than Christ Jesus expects us to be. The problem is we have lived in such a a compromised culture of Christianity that we don't even recognize what is real anymore. The measure of Christianity that we've been dealt and the measure of Christianity that we've experienced has been a watered-down, compromised, poor, pitiful excuse of Christianity. John writes and says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Did you catch that? Look here for one moment. If you love this world, you are telling everybody that the love of God is not in you. How could you love this world if the love of God was inside of you? He goes on. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And some of you this morning are chasing after a carrot that you'll never get, and it is leading you to self-destruction. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. I want this. I want to do this. The pride of life. I want to be this. Can I tell you, you're you're wasting your days chasing after something you'll never get. The only thing you will get is self-destruction. Young people, teenagers, university age, there's never, I don't know if there's ever been a time more challenging than now for young people to live. 
But you have got to rip your eyes off of this world and look unto Jesus. You've got to say, like we sang a moment ago, stayed upon Jehovah. You've got to ask God by His grace and mercy to help you see the, the, the wicked deceit of this world. The world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Paul writes to the Romans in that famous portion of Scripture in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. You might, might know these, these verses and be able to quote them, but I hope you'll know them in your heart. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I plead with you, I implore you by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Would you look here for a moment? The majority of this world is presenting themselves a living sacrifice unto the world. And they say, I'll do anything you want me to do. Here I am, world. Here I am, world system. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to believe, I'll do it. But the commandment was that you would offer yourself a living sacrifice to God. Which is your reasonable service. And then he says, in a very clear command, be not conformed to this world. But you look here for one moment, I'm going to close with this. This world is trying to press you into a form. This world is trying to push you in to some sort of a cookie cutter imagination, some sort of a cookie cutter form. It's trying to push you into what they want you to be and what they want you to do. And some of you are jumping into the cookie cutter. The world is constantly pushing and pulling and trying to make you what they want you to be. And God says, fight it. Be not conformed to this world. If they put chains on you by the grace of God, break them. If they tie you up by the grace of God, cut the rope. If they put you in a prison cell by the grace of God, kick it down. You say, by the grace and mercy of God, I shall not ever conform to this world. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's amazing to me. The world wants to conform you, wants you to conform and wants you to capitulate and the world wants to push you into a place that you don't belong. But God wants to transform you. Think about that. God wants to take you and I who are naturally prone to wander, naturally prone to sin. We can't think right if we wanted to think right on our own. And God wants to take you and change you. But the trouble is so many of us will not let him change us because we're letting the world conform us. You can't do both. You cannot let the world conform. You can't be conformed to the world's image and also be transformed. You cannot be conformed to this world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You cannot do both. You must choose this day which one you're going to allow. Some of you have never made that choice and it needs to be made today. Some of you made the choice to be transformed uh, by the grace of God, by the renewing of your mind, but you've gone back at it and you've got one foot in the cookie cutter that the world offers and you've got one foot uh, asking God to change you, 
God, please change me. But you're holding on to the conformity to this world. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. I'm telling you right now, it will never, ever happen. You'll never be any different. Some of you will die the same way you are today because you will not let go of the world. Some of you will be just like this until you breathe your final breath because you cannot let go of what the world wants you to be. You're afraid that the world's going to think you're strange and the world's going to think you're extreme and the world's going to think you're radical. You're afraid of what the world thinks instead of being afraid of what God thinks. And you have been deceived by Balaam. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know what? Your mind needs to be changed. Every once in a while somebody says, oh, you, you've been brainwashed. Yes, I have. Praise God for it. My brain needed an awful lot of washing. And it needs to be washed every day. It needs to be renewed every day because everywhere I look, there are carrots dangling about. Everywhere I look, Balaam is trying to catch me again and lead me astray to, to destroy me. And so every day, I need to have my mind renewed. Every day, I need to get on my knees and beg and plead that God would help me. Every day, I need to get into His Word so it would change me, transform me by the renewing of my mind. And the Bible says, Jesus says in Revelation but thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas my, was my faithful martyr. Would you look this way? Antipas, who was against all, walked boldly to that brazen bull and took his place there and was burned alive because he held fast to the name of Christ and he refused to compromise. It would be far better for you Christian, it will be far better to you, for you, to march to your death holding fast the name of Christ than to live a little bit longer holding fast to this world. I'd rather die today holding on to the name of Christ than live another 20 years holding on to this world. And if you knew anything about God and anything about the day that we shall stand before him, you would wish the same. I wonder today, are you one who holds fast the name of Christ, who has not denied the faith of Christ, or are you those who have either taught the doctrine of Balaam or are following the doctrine of Balaam? Woe unto every church and woe unto every pastor, including myself. Woe unto every self-proclaimed Minister, if they be casting a stumbling block in front of the people of God and leading them into compromise, woe unto them. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. May the Lord help us. Now, I know this is heavy, but we are living in a compromised age. And you and I need to get serious about God. We need to know that there's nothing more serious than walking with God. Nothing more appropriate than denying this world and following Christ. 
May the Lord help us. He's given us examples. Faithful men and women in scripture. Faithful men and women in history. He's given us the example of his own dear son. May God help you today and me today. To choose. To be renewed in our mind day by day. And refuse to be conformed to this world. May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Father. We confess unto thee that our flesh hates to be corrected. We hate to think, Lord, that we are not what we should be. We hate to even admit it. We hate to imagine that we've compromised. We love to make excuses for ourselves. And I ask of thee, Lord, help me. To make no more excuses. Help me, Father, to be willing to look into thy word and see exactly where I stand today. And I pray the same for these dear people in front of me. Help us, I ask. May there be a real sense of solemnity and urgency. Open our eyes to see the stumbling blocks that are being dangled in front of us. Help us to see. Help us not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. Help us uh, to be willing to admit, forgive us of pride, God. Please forgive us of pride. In our pride and arrogance, we often refuse to admit that we ourselves have compromised. Oh, please forgive us, Lord. Show us right now, this morning, where indeed we have compromised the faith of Christ. Show us if we've begun to let go the name of Christ. And show us if we have been following after those carrots dangled by Balaam and by Satan himself. Help us, we pray. Help us to redeem the time, Lord. May we not be afraid to be called Antipas. May we not be afraid to lay down our life, whether it be through death or whether it be through one day at a time living a renewed life, a life that is a living sacrifice unto thee. Oh, forgive us for the days we've offered to Satan. Forgive us for the days we've given ourselves to this world and given very little thought to thee. Oh, change us, Lord, we pray. That in these days we might be a remnant of people raised up to shine a light. We might be those who Hold high the banner of Christ and blow as loud as we can that trumpet sound. Warning people that the day of our Savior's return is nigh. Help us, we pray. Prepare us for such a day. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake.